I am sitting in lovely Siesta Key, Florida. I'm coming from Bangkok in Thailand. Prague in the Czech Republic. Cairo in Egypt. Auckland, New Zealand. London, England. Welcome to Career View Mirror, the automotive podcast that goes behind the scenes with key players in the industry, looking back over their careers so far, sharing insights to help you with your own journey. I'm your host, Andy Follows. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this Side Mirror episode of Career View Mirror. If you're a regular listener, thank you. You'll be aware that most of our episodes feature interviews with people with a link to the automotive industry who kindly share their life and career journeys with us. We celebrate their careers, listen to their stories, and learn from their experiences. From time to time, we also publish these Side Mirror episodes, which are usually an opportunity for me to share some content with you related to careers or developing ourselves or people we lead, parent or mentor that I hope you'll find valuable. When I was about to leave the UK to start my first international assignment with BMW, I'd tell people I'm going to Singapore. I need to get out of my comfort zone. Fast forward a few weeks and I'm standing in the office in Singapore with no clue who anyone is, how anything works or what I'm supposed to be doing. And I notice myself thinking, ah, so that's why it's called a comfort zone. This really is uncomfortable. This side mirror episode is about getting uncomfortable deliberately. I want to talk about why that's important if we're going to grow. I'll describe how I view identifying what I want to actualize or make real and the necessary phase of discomfort associated with that process. I'll ask you to reflect on where you're currently engaging with and tolerating discomfort, and I'll share other resources I've come across. As with all our episodes, we publish a transcript and we'll include references in the show notes to this episode. Let me take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Ask Consulting, who are experts in executive search, resourcing solutions and talent management across all sectors of the automotive industry in the UK and Europe. I've known them for almost 20 years and I can think of no more fitting sponsor for CareerView Mirror. They're the business we go to at Aqualai when we're looking for talent for our clients and for projects that we're working on. Ask was founded by Andrew McMillan, whose own automotive career includes board level positions with car brands and leasing companies. All Ask consultants have extensive client side experience, which means they bring valuable insight and perspective for both their employer and candidate customers. My earliest experience of working with Andrew was back in 2004 when he helped me hire regional managers for my leasing sales team at Alphabet. More recently, when Aquila was helping a US client to establish a car subscription business, Ask Consulting was alongside us, helping us to develop our people strategy and to identify and bring on board suitable talent. Clients we've referred to Ask have had an equally positive experience. Andrew and the team at Ask are genuinely interested in the long-term outcomes for you and the people they place with you. They even offer the reassurance of a two-year performance guarantee, which means they have skin in the game when working with you. If you're keen to secure the most talented and high potential people to accelerate your business and gain competitive advantage, do get in touch with them and let them know I sent you. You can email Andrew and the team at hello at askconsulting.co.uk or check out their website for more details and more client feedback 
at www.askconsulting.co.uk. Ask is spelt A-S-K-E. You'll find these contact details in the show notes for this episode. Okay, let's get back to our episode. Why do the lives of people born into similar circumstances, even siblings, follow such different trajectories? One common thread that connects our guests on Careerview Mirror is that they're all making progress playing whatever hand they were dealt at birth. I love that and what it suggests about what's possible for all of us. Of course, there are some hands that are much easier to play than others, and there's no doubt that privilege we're born with can make a huge difference to our chances of success. This side mirror is not about privilege, though. It's about deliberately engaging with and tolerating discomfort in order to grow. At that moment in the office in Singapore, I was consciously uncomfortable. As happens over time, I got to grips with my new environment and my new role, And as a result, the list of challenges I was happy to face got longer. My comfort zone, as we like to call it, had expanded to include operating in a new country and culture, traveling around the Asia Pacific region to provide in-house consulting to my colleagues in the markets, helping to set up an entity in Singapore, driving to our offices in Kuala Lumpur, dealing with the Malaysian traffic police and many other challenges. Discomfort seems to be a necessary part of growth. If I go to the gym to increase my strength, I have to do exercises that make me uncomfortable. By progressively overloading my muscles, I force them to break down. And if I ingest enough protein shortly afterwards, they'll repair themselves stronger. The next day, I may experience the actual pain of DOMS or delayed onset muscle soreness. And whilst this hurts, it'll be a pleasant reminder that I worked out recently. When I want to adopt a new skill, it seems I also have to tolerate or even embrace some discomfort first. This could be physical discomfort, like the burning sensation from lactic acid buildup when exercising, or it could be the psychological discomfort of feeling out of place. Maybe I'm anxious about even setting foot in the gym because I don't feel in great shape, everyone might stare at me, I don't know how the equipment works, and so on. Looking back over the new things I've tried in the last 10 years or so, they've required me to deliberately engage with and tolerate a mixture of physical and psychological discomfort. When I started snowboarding for the first time, age 46, I had the very real physical discomfort of falling on my face or backside repeatedly. On one occasion, the young instructor at what's effectively a very wide indoor treadmill that simulates a mountainside took great pleasure in encouraging me to ride switch, which for me means leading with my right foot rather than my left. And I find it incredibly difficult. After multiple falls, I gave up after I left the treadmill and almost ended up in reception. I also had the excruciating experience of riding on a ski lift with my friend Eric, who grew up near the mountains and who started skiing about the same time he started walking. As the chairlift approached the top of the slope, he gracefully skied off and I just landed in a pile at his feet. Learning to ride a snowboard involved deliberately engaging with and tolerating a lot of physical and psychological discomfort. After a while, though, on a good day, I could get down the mountain unscathed and enjoy the feeling of having developed a new skill. Most importantly, I could do it with my son, Tom. My main motivation for learning to ride a snowboard was so that we would have a pastime we could do together. Imagine a wheel with a tyre around it. It's not fitted to a car, it's just lying flat on the ground. Now stop seeing it as a wheel and tyre and just see it as two rings. An inner ring, which was the wheel, surrounded by an outer ring, which was the tyre. Now imagine that the inner ring represents me successfully enjoying riding down a mountain with Tom. 
and the outer ring represents the phase of psychological and physical discomfort I have to pass through to get to the inner ring. We can use our imagination to put whatever we want into the inner ring. We could choose for it to represent a new skill we want to possess, a relationship we want to develop, a goal we want to achieve, a memory we want to create, a legacy we want to leave, anything we're capable of imagining. Whatever we choose for our inner ring to represent first, we have to engage with and pass through the wider outer ring. Typically, if we've chosen something that's really worthwhile pursuing, it requires us to engage with and tolerate a level of physical and or psychological discomfort. When I left corporate employment, it was because I wanted to do more coaching and facilitation. In the inner ring was this idea of me spending as much of my week as possible engaged in one-to-one coaching with individuals who are going to benefit from the process or me being on my feet in front of a group of leaders facilitating them to experience insights about their roles and their own development. Ironically, the reality was that first of all, I had to grapple with the activities of the outer ring, which were all about marketing and sales to identify and bring on board clients who I could then enjoy working with in that inner ring. The more I think about this, the more I realise that every new meaningful outcome that I've worked towards in the last 10 years or so, and probably ever, has required me first to pass through an uncomfortable outer ring to create it. When I asked my boss, Alan Crooks, for the opportunity to move from running BMW Financial Services Singapore to become responsible for the business in New Zealand, we might reasonably think that that would have been within my comfort zone. I'd already done an international assignment and travelled extensively in the region. I'd already been responsible for my own P&L. Well, it turned out that certainly wasn't the case. Anyone who knows me will know that those four and a half years in New Zealand turned out to be some of the best years of my life and career so far. But during our very first visit to Auckland to find accommodation and choose schools for Hannah and Tom, I wrote in my diary that if someone offered me a way to back out of the assignment without losing face, I would take it. That was my level of discomfort about the move at the beginning. By then, I'd grown very comfortable with life in Singapore and Auckland was suddenly unfamiliar and uncomfortable. I had experience running BMW Financial Services Singapore, but BMW Financial Services New Zealand seemed very different. It was so much more mature and established with over 20 years history. It had experienced leaders in place. What could I possibly add to this, I thought? Of course, over time, I found my feet and grew into my new role. We grew the business significantly. And thanks to great leadership from Alan, who kept encouraging me and raising the bar in terms of the challenges he set up for me, my comfort zone expanded to include not only running a bigger, more mature financial services business, but also creating and delivering leadership programs across the APAC region at the same time as doing the job I'd originally been so concerned about taking on. After 18 years at BMW, I realised I needed to move on and I moved back to the UK and joined Tesla. I found it very uncomfortable entering this new environment, which compared with BMW was somewhat chaotic and where the average age in the UK business was 25. When I interviewed Graham Wheeler, he openly shared about his experience of leaving Volkswagen Financial Services UK after being CEO for many years. He said he went through a grieving process. I realise now that six months after leaving BMW, I was still grieving my loss. That's how uncomfortable that was to leave behind all the familiarity, capability and friendships I'd developed over 18 years. At the end of 2016, I finally left my corporate salary and benefits behind and started Aquali, which came with new levels of perceived risk and discomfort. 
We did our first Aqualite projects in Malaysia, Thailand and China. We went to California to engage with West Coast disruptors. During COVID, we created the Aquilae Academy virtual peer mentoring programs. We started this Career View Mirror podcast. And more recently, we've developed our signature towards fulfilling performance development program. During these Aquilae years, I've also tried lots of new things in my personal life. Each and every time we embarked on something new, it came with an initial phase of discomfort. We had to engage with and tolerate the discomfort of that outer ring to create the outcome, achieve the goal or develop a reasonable level of competence in whatever we had chosen for the inner ring to represent. Achieving anything meaningful and worthwhile requires us to engage with and tolerate discomfort. If we can go beyond engaging and tolerating discomfort, and learn to embrace and even enjoy that discomfort as an indicator that we're living life deliberately and intentionally and growing towards whatever we've placed in our inner ring, then so much the better. I came across a quick example of how we can reframe a situation to help us shift from engaging and tolerating to embracing and enjoying the discomfort. It said, do you hit the gym to punish yourself for your bad diet choices? or to remind yourself of and celebrate the incredible capabilities of your body. I thought that was a lovely paradigm shift. I doubt I'm telling you anything here that you don't already know by talking about this concept of having to endure discomfort to make meaningful progress and grow. I hope I'm making you think about it more consciously, though. I'm keen for you to either notice how it's showing up in your life right now and remind you that it's absolutely normal part of progress and growth, or... Notice that you can't identify any outer rings that you're currently engaging with. And again, remind you that it's an absolutely normal part of progress and growth. And you might want to think about identifying some new inner rings for yourself and engaging with their outer rings. I'm also keen, as always, for you to apply some of this thinking with those you lead parent or mentor where you think it might be helpful. With that in mind, let me give you some more examples of how this shows up in the work we do, starting with the importance of knowledge or skills transference from a development programme. Whether I'm coaching one-to-one or whether I'm working with a team of leaders or managers, I'm obsessed with the transference of knowledge. By that, I mean getting people to apply their new knowledge to their specific situation and to use the new tools that we've given them. Knowledge that we have but don't apply is worthless. If you come along to a workshop with me or one of my team and listen for two hours and even participate in the exercises, but then go away and do nothing with the new ideas, concepts, tools and models that you've been given, you're wasting everyone's time and your company's resources. You're effectively treating the session as an entertainment break and your company would be better off if you stayed at your desk and cranked out another two hours worth of your regular output. That's why in our sessions, we ask people to identify the element they would most like to try between now and the next session and we record their commitment. We offer to help them by holding them accountable to taking those first steps because we know it's hard to lean into that outer ring of discomfort when trying something new and learning a new skill. It's also uncomfortable showing up a month later and admitting to your colleagues that you didn't even try. Human beings are hardwired to seek out pleasure and avoid pain. We want having a go to be less painful than doing nothing. We also create a safe environment so that people can be vulnerable and say if things didn't work out when they practice their new skill, as is often the case, as was my experience with snowboarding. Sometimes 
I'll ask people what new skill or method they've started to practice. And they'll say, I'm not sure, but I think I might have started doing some of these new things subconsciously. I'm yet to be convinced of that as an answer. There are two types of things we do subconsciously or mindlessly. They're either things that we are already really good at because we've practiced them for many hours in the past until they become effortless, like driving or riding a bike, or the things that we probably ought not to be doing, like reaching for that extra slice of cake or glass of wine or mindlessly scrolling through TikTok. If we want to adopt a new tool or develop a new skill, we have to accept that we'll need to be very deliberate and conscious about it. And in the beginning, it's most likely going to be uncomfortable, either physically, psychologically or both. I recently came across another perspective on how avoiding discomfort affects the performance of leaders. This one came from John Cleese, who's famous for Faulty Towers and Monty Python, and who also successfully built and sold a management education business called Video Arts. Speaking some years ago, he suggested that people who are able to remain in a state of discomfort can make better decisions. He explains that when we're in a position where we're expected to make decisions, being seen to not make decisions is uncomfortable. As a result, we spend less time exploring and understanding a problem and instead reach for the nearest solution and make a decision because doing so feels better. The pressure to appear to be a decisive leader may cause us to jump more quickly to solutions and make suboptimal decisions. If we can engage with and tolerate being uncomfortable for a while longer, we may well find that we're able to arrive at a better understanding of the problem and identify a more effective solution. In another example, Morgan W. McCall of the University of Southern California Marshall School of Business explains how to go about learning something new. I think you'll agree that it mirrors the process of choosing an outcome for your inner ring and then engaging with the outer ring. He says, if we want to learn something new, we should put ourselves into a situation where we have to learn and then try and get help. He gives the example of if you don't speak French, and you want to learn to speak French, go to a part of France where no one speaks your language and take a phrase book with you. I'm sure we can all appreciate how uncomfortable that would be and how effective it would be too. You wouldn't go to a two-hour workshop on learning French, take no further deliberate action and expect to find yourself subconsciously able to speak French in the coming weeks. Here's a slightly different example featuring someone who's accomplished at something and wants to take it to the next level. I'm coaching a young writer. He loves writing and he's very good at it. He's intelligent and articulate and has a wide vocabulary. He loves words and is confident when putting them together. He's well read himself and he's knowledgeable about the classics. He drops in little references to the wisdom of the ages that convey gravitas and credibility, like a chef cooking with high quality ingredients. He has a kind and playful nature that comes across in his writing and he has a dry wit that keeps the reader alert. We read on anticipating there's most likely a smile or laugh coming up soon in the next few lines. As I said, he loves writing and he has no issue with doing it. There's no discomfort. In fact, he finds it a joyful activity. When it comes to writing, he's already occupying the inner ring. By now, you may be thinking, I'd like to read some of this guy's writing, but you can't. He writes for his own pleasure. So far, it's a private endeavour. The thing is, he dreams that one day he could earn his living by writing. The inner ring in his case is no longer about being a writer. It's now about being a professional writer. 
He's already achieved being a writer. If he wants to take it to the next level, he'll need to engage with and tolerate the discomfort of the outer ring that he must pass through to become a professional writer. He will need to embrace and enjoy the process of publishing his writing for others to read. I'm confident that in time he'll do this and others will get to enjoy seeing aspects of the world, both ancient and modern, from his unique perspective. I think it's fascinating, if a little harsh, that to earn the opportunity to do what we love and get rewarded for it, we often have to first get good at something that's completely different and then we may not have any passion or enthusiasm for at all, like self-promotion or being open to criticism of our work. This doesn't seem particularly fair, but then life isn't fair. Could this be what life is actually all about? Are we intended to go through our journey, coming up with a series of potential outcomes that we choose for our inner rings to represent, and then we engage with and tolerate, or most ideally embrace and enjoy, the discomfort of their respective outer rings as we face up to the challenge and bring those outcomes to life? Some have suggested that we are living in a simulation. That sounds pretty much like a video game to me. Let me leave you with a few takeaways to add to your own. From hearing all of my guests' life and career journeys, I think that where we start out is not the strongest factor that will determine where we end up. Instead, our likelihood of success will be commensurate with our ability to identify what we want to actualise and our appetite to engage with and tolerate the discomfort we'll undoubtedly experience as we progress towards making our vision real. We may have to first succeed in some apparently unrelated areas like selling our services as a coach or publishing and marketing our writing. Taking longer to understand the problem may help us arrive at better solutions. Putting ourselves into situations where we have to learn and then asking for help could be a surefire way to make sure we make progress at learning something new. And if we aren't consciously leaning in and aware that we're trying something new and experiencing some discomfort, we probably aren't trying something new after all. You've been listening to Career View Mirror with me, Andy Follows. If you've listened this far, thank you. I hope that some of these thoughts have resonated with you and stimulated you to reflect on your own approach to embracing and tolerating discomfort as you live your life intentionally and deliberately. Can you draw on your own examples from over the years where you've entered the outer ring to actualize something you've chosen as an inner ring? Are you currently in the thick of one or more outer rings now? What do you want to actualize next? If you enjoy listening to our episodes, please could you do me a huge favor and share them with someone you lead parent or mentor or a friend you think will also appreciate them. Thank you to our sponsors for this episode, Ask Consulting and Aquiline. And thank you to the Careerview Mirror team, without whom we would not be able to share our guests' life and career stories. And above all, thank you to you for listening. No matter how hard you try, no matter how hardworking you are, you're never going to be able to do it on your own. It's just not possible. You know, at the end of the day, you're steering your own destiny. So if it's not happening for you, you're not seeing what you want out there, then go out there and connect. Don't rely on others. You you have to do it yourself. You have to take control. If you've got an idea, if you've got a thought about something that might be successful, if you've got a passion to do something yourself, but you just haven't quite got there, do it. Take a risk. Take a chance. Stick your neck out. What's the worst that can happen? You fall down. Okay, you pick yourself up and you try again.